As we think of everybody scurrying to get their gifts for Christmas on Black Friday, and I guess it's Black Saturday now too, and all the uh, running around that takes place, uh, sometimes it's easy to forget the reason for the season, and that is being joyful in our hope in Christ Jesus. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12 is just one verse. 12, 12, easy to figure out and remember. <laughs> and I want to begin with a question. Are we as human beings more inclined to be joyful or doleful, content or covetous, charitable or critical? Let me ask that again. Are we as human beings more inclined to be joyful or doleful, content or covetous, charitable or critical? When you consider the tone or mood of our culture today, what is your sense? When you look at your own heart, what is your sense? The Apostle Paul exhorts us in Romans 12, verse 12, to be joyful in hope and how to remain in that state of joy. So let's look at God's Word. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. And it will always also serve as the points of our message today. In verse 12, Paul writes, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, now instruct our hearts from your holy word. We thank you for this living word that not only speaks to us, but quickens us, gives us vitality and strength as your spirit applies it rightly to our hearts and minds enabling us to use it for your glory. We ask this now that it would penetrate and encourage and strengthen us through me as your servant, being spoken in your name, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Halford Lukak writes in his book, Unfinished Business, One night at dinner, a man who had spent many summers in Maine fascinated his companions by telling of his experiences in a little town named Flagstaff. The town was to be flooded as part of a larger lake for which a dam was being built. In the few months before it was to be flooded, all improvements and repairs in the whole town were stopped. What was the use of painting a house if it was going to be underwater in six months? Why make any repairs to any of the houses in the town if they're all going to be underwater in a short period of time? And so whatever repairs or, or upkeep that they were going to do to these homes and to this community stopped. And the whole town started to deteriorate. Week by week, it became more bedraggled, more gone to seed, more woebegone, more desolate. Then he added, by way of explanation, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. 
Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where is your faith directed these days? Where you direct your faith regarding the future is very important regarding what kind of hope and power you have in the present. In considering this, it is important to understand that hope is not merely an emotion, a reaction, or a response. Hope is a mindset, a way of thinking. Hence, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who do not have any hope. The Apostle Paul is not simply addressing how we feel here, but how we view life and death. He is addressing a mindset, the hope we have in Christ Jesus regarding death and what comes after that. Those in the world who place their faith in other gods or in mankind, whether they be religious or not, share the same hope do not share the same hope as the christian whose hope is directed by his or her faith in god's saving grace through jesus christ our joyous hope as a believer is the resurrected christ jesus is in the resurrected christ jesus who gives all who place their faith in his saving work a steadfast hope and assurance of never ending fellowship with him Again, as I said before, this is not an emotional response per se, but a mindset, an understanding, a way of thinking regarding how you view life and death through the lens of Christ Jesus and what He has accomplished for you. So, Paul says, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope as if it is a condition that that should be your condition, your mindset as a Christian, to be joyful in hope. Being joyful in hope, again, is not simply an emotion that comes and goes based on the stirring of your feelings. Being joyful in, is the Christian attitude in which we have and understand that God is sovereign over the whole universe And that God's promises that he has made to us unto salvation are established through Jesus Christ. One of those promises is that we will be redeemed from the power of sin. That means that we were slaves to sin and Jesus Christ in his blood shed for us atones for us doing two things. It covers us with the righteousness of who Jesus is and it also redeems or or purchases us purchases us from the power of sin. So we are now His and not, we do not belong to sin and to the, to the prince of this world, who is the devil. We have been bought from that. We have been um, brought out from that. God gives you the victory also over your accuser, the devil. He grants you rest from your troubles in this life. Preparing an eternal home where sin, death, and the devil are no more. It is the true paradise of God filled with his love and glory and those who have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Yes, God has kept his promises to us through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. 
Yet your response may be, well, sometimes, Pastor, I don't feel joyous or very hopeful at all for that matter. Sometimes when I look at the future, I get discouraged. I see the rise in crime in major cities in our nation. Uh, I, I look to the future and, and uh, see how things are, how sin and, and wickedness are entering into many classrooms in our, in our country. And that discourages me. I see, the, I see the faltering of the visible church as many churches and several denominations that claim to be Christian actually herald the teachings of secular society rather than, the teach, rather than teaching God's Word. And in so doing, they make God's Word vain, futile to those who actually need to hear the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not hard to get discouraged if you are directing your faith in the wrong place. And we live in the information age where it's easy to be distracted. Uh, If you look to the larger portion of media in our nation who care more about power, fame, and fortune uh, at any cost rather than than caring about people, God, and virtue... If you're looking to them to instill hope in you, that's not a good place to look because you truly can be discouraged when you try and find hope in these places. Talk is cheap. Anyone can talk and offer their opinion. Doing what is right, doing what is good, that's costly. That can cost you. I think about a soldier. It was Veterans Day not too long ago. And I think about a soldier who straps on his armor, takes up his, his weapon, and goes out and puts his life on the line for others so that you might enjoy the freedoms that you have here in this country. That's putting skin in the game. That's actually doing something that, that might cost you. So many people in our country just talk, but they don't desire to do what's really good or right for the nation, for themselves, and for their neighbors. That is what we are called to do as God's people. To direct our faith not towards the opinion bazaar in our country, those who are peddling opinions, but to direct our faith towards God, who is our strength and our salvation, the one who will lift us up and bear us through. Now, there is definitely one thing that can truly test your joy, and that's the next line in Romans 12, and that is affliction. When you suffer affliction, that can truly test your joy. And the Apostle Paul writes, be patient in affliction. I want to first look at the Greek word for affliction so that we can understand what Paul is addressing here. The Greek word is thlipsis, And it refers to any kind of trouble that inflicts distress. So it's not only affliction. It can be understood as oppression and also tribulation. It's it's when the forces of this world just try to press you down and conform you to their ways at all costs. Uh, We think about it as, as using information and intimidation tactics to do that as as we see on display in our in our nation all the time 
But it can be more than that. If, if you think about people who are in prison camps and they're tortured until they are broken and, and conformed to the, to the mindset of the enemy, that pressure continues on, that affliction continues on until they are just broken and, and acquiesce. Paul says be patient in that kind of affliction. So how do you address tribulation? How do you address the troubles of life when you suffer the loss of a loved one or you face a doctor's report about your body that you don't want to hear? What do you do when someone despises you for what you believe and cannot discern that you're actually trying to help them? When affliction comes in full force, it may feel like you're just surviving, living from day to day. Fear of what might happen impedes any progress, and the idea of victory is far off. You don't think that's even possible. That's how affliction works on you. Paul exhorts you in this process to be patient, to keep your trust in God, no matter what you face. How many stories in the Bible show that our human nature is to wait for a time, trusting in God in our own strength, and then when it seems like God is not going to provide for us the way we think he should, we panic and we do something foolish because we believe the God of the universe is not going to come through on his promise. All those people in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, all of them, except for maybe Abel, (laughs) panicked. They put their faith in God, but they eventually got to the point where they didn't think God would come through, and they panicked, and they tried to do it themselves. And then they learned later that they should simply just put their faith in God because he's the one who saw them through. He's the one who provided for them. I know when I, when I say that uh, God is going to keep his promise and he is sovereign over all creation, it sounds silly that we should doubt him. And yet, do we doubt him? Christ Jesus, God's son, as his faith was, is the one who is the one who never doubted. He always directed his faith towards his heavenly father for each and every day. He carried out his mission on this earth. So again, be patient in affliction. Uh, This patience is not simply waiting around for God to do something. The Greek word here is upameno, which means to stay in a place beyond an expected point of time, to maintain a belief or course of action in the face of opposition, to stand one's ground hold out and endure it is patient endurance that's what he's talking about here when he says be patient in affliction this is the kind of patience that a warrior has when he puts on all of his armor takes up his weapon and keeps fighting even though it seems like there is no end in sight it is the patience to stay uh, and 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 hold your ground when someone is trying to drive you out. This soldier keeps fighting, not only because he feels he must, but he believes that God is with him and that God will give him the victory, uh, even the final victory. Uh, 
You know the greatest enemy that any person really has is death. It's not the devil. It's death. That is the last enemy that must be defeated. The devil has already been kicked out. He no longer has a position of authority in the presence of God in order to accuse you and I because we are under the righteous blood of Jesus Christ who has atoned for our sin. So he can complain about us all the time. God's not going to listen because he sees us covered by the righteousness of his son. But death still remains. Death still remains. And I'm not talking just about physical death here, but what happens when we die. Our final destiny is determined when we die. If you die in this world without saving faith in Jesus Christ, there is no hope that you will someday find a way out of the eternal prison called hell. Not even the prayers of those still living in this world can improve your future condition if you are sent away from God to hell because His judgment falls upon you justly. If you think you can escape that place, I would encourage you to reread Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. It is impossible. And in this situation, all hope goes away because your faith was not directed towards Jesus Christ, whom God the Father sent into this world to save you. This is what Paul means when he speaks of those who grieve, having no hope. They don't have the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ, which makes them actually hopeless in that situation as their loved ones are truly lost. How great then is the disparity in hope between the believer in Christ Jesus and the person who directs their faith to false gods and false prophets who are only propagators of folly. How do we then as Christians continue this steadfast fight of perseverance against the afflictions we face in a broken and troubled world while also being ready to give an answer to everyone who asks regarding the joy that we have in our hearts. Some people look at us and they think, you're silly or you're foolish. How can you be happy in a time like this? How can you be joyful when you should be sorrowful? I think of some of the funerals that I have done where there's a genuine joy and happiness in the hearts of those who are praising God because they know that their loved one is not in hell, but in heaven forever. There is grief over loss, but there is also that sustaining joy because joy is not a fleeting feeling again. It is a condition it is a mindset. It is who we are in Christ Jesus. The joy that fills our soul is knowing that we are not our own, but we belong to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He has secured our future for us. It's amazing when you don't have to worry about what's coming. 
You know, the, the simple difference between uh, being short at the end of the month financially and having an abundance at the end of the month financially. How do those two perspectives affect you? <laughs> you know. If you're short, that can generate things like frustration, confusion perhaps, anger. But if you are blessed with an abundance, how does that affect you? It encourages you. It blesses you. You're, you're thankful. You're happy, right? That's just a little thing. What we're talking about here is massive. We're talking about our future eternal home. To know that your eternal home is secured by Jesus Christ and you don't have to worry about it is awesome. On the other hand, if you don't know where you're going and you don't know what your future holds, that is a very fearful thing and can be devastatingly discouraging. As Christians, we need to show forth who we are in Christ and to be joyful in hope, to be patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Our hope is not a glimmer of optimism. It is an essential part of our faith that directs us to our triune God in prayer. So Paul writes, be faithful in prayer. There is more to the word faithful than meets the eye here. And I know I'm explaining these Greek terms because you're, no, you're noticing as I define them that they're a little fuller than what the NIV uh, presents in translation. And so when you look at this Greek word, it is pros, proskartereo, and it is a combination of two Greek words, pros, which means towards, and kartereo, which means be strong, endure, be strong towards, endure in what? Prayer. Endure in prayer. We may think this means that you stay awake during the pastoral prayer. Or perhaps you pray for more than 10 to 15 minutes at a time. That would be a misunderstanding of what the Apostle Paul is communicating to us. He's talking about persevering in prayer, that prayer is the vital agency of the Christian community. The Apostle Paul is saying that you must endure in prayer because this is where some of the greatest battles are waged. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew that he was going to the cross to die? You know, if we were guilty... Maybe we would understand why we were being punished. But if I did everything right, and I did everything right for you, and then you put me on a cross to die, that would be quite upsetting, would it not? That's what Jesus did. And He asked His Father, I, I really don't want to go down this path. Is there not another way? This is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ who is the Lord of glory. Asking His Father, is there any other way? And God remains silent, basically saying no. And while He's praying, He's, he's sweating like drops of blood. 
That's a, that's a, psychologically and physiologically, that's when you're in intense pressure and, and you're truly suffering. He's praying that way. He's doing battle. Knowing what he has to accomplish. That's where the battle was truly raged, waged. was in that garden. Once everything was resolved, he went to the cross. Willingly. Some of the greatest battles are waged in prayer, not on the battlefield. Not in the conflict, but in the prayer room, in the war room. I think a World War II vet named Louis Zamperini can help us out here regarding the understanding of endurance in general and also enduring in prayer. Before joining the Air Force, Mr. Zamperini was a long-distance runner, quite good as he learned how to endure. He ran the 5,000 meter, and uh, he became very good at it. And he understood the training that went, it went into it and the mental fortitude that you had to have to not only run the race, but to win it. And that's what he desired to accomplish, was to win the race. Uh, when Mr. Zamperini joined the Air Force... He and his crew flew uh, rescue missions looking for lost aircraft and their crew. This was during World War II, and this is around Japan. While flying on one mission, their plane encountered technical difficulties and crashed into the ocean. Uh, two men survived, Louis Zamperini and the, and the captain of the plane. They survived uh, on... They had just little water. They drank that up in the first few days, and then they tried to uh, store rainwater that would fall once in a while as rains would sporadically come up. Uh, they would catch seagulls and, and basically use little pieces of their meat to catch fish and eat the fish raw. Uh, they had, their lips were baked by the sun, and, and they were skin and bones. Uh, at the end of 47 days of fighting off sharks and all the misery of being lost and adrift at sea, they finally saw land. And as they got closer to land, rowing towards it, they realized that it wasn't friendly territory. It was enemy territory. And they tried to row and paddle over there as fast as they could to, to try and hide out. But the Japanese Navy came up on them and, and uh, brought them on board. Uh, interestingly enough, the Japanese Navy actually treated them rather well, uh, gave them some nutritious food, gave them some condiments in order to clean up and so forth, and a, and a nice bed to rest on. But once they, once they came ashore, uh, that treatment was short-lived as they were ushered into uh, Japanese prison camps. And in these prison camps... Uh, many of these individuals from who were prisoners of war died uh, of starvation. A third of them, actually, in these prison camps died of starvation. Louis Zamperini was a determined fellow, uh, and uh, he survived the hard labor that they put him in. Either you were working the, on the railroad or in a factory or some other, some other matter, and, and so he survived all that, but he had a prison guard who came in who was notoriously called the bird. And uh, I think he was called the bird because he continually picked at you, tormented you, trying to break you and break your will. And he delighted in that. 
He had a sadistic way about him where he delighted in just destroying you personally and wanting to see you fall. And uh, Louis Zamperini was a, a target of the bird. He tortured and tormented him as often as he could. And one day, uh, this prison guard, the bird, took Louis uh, Zamperini out to the compound. There was a six-foot uh, log, a heavy log that was laying on the ground. And the bird told Louis, you need to pick that up and hold it above your head and not drop it. If you try and even slouch a little bit, I will command one of the guards and they know that they're going to strike you every time you slouch. Every, and if you drop it, you could be executed. And that's one of the things, too, that I didn't talk about. If, if you tried to escape, you would, it would not only be you who would be executed, but everybody in your group would be executed along with you. These were the kinds of conditions that he was facing and had to persevere through. Anyway... Louis picked up the log and he held it there for about five minutes and he started to waver a little bit and tip. One of the guards struck him in the side and he straightened back out. And all this time the the prison guard, the bird, was mocking him, deriding him, challenging him. And something, uh, Mr. Zamperini says, something like a fire just lit within his heart. It was just a fire of rage. His anger just overwhelmed him. You can throw an adrenaline in there, but it was more a rage. As he was staring daggers into this prison guard, he was not going to allow that that log to drop at all. And he held it there before the bird actually tackled him because he got tired of him holding it. You know how long he held it? Over 35 minutes. That's something that he should not have been humanly possible should not have been humanly possible for him to do. But he did it nonetheless. He endured. He was enduring the affliction. Eventually, we won the war. And an American plane flew over that land and landed on that island. The prisoners there were so joyous. They were shouting at the tops of their lungs with joy that they were saved. But for Louis, he was still overcome by rage and anger. The rage that he had towards this prison guard was still there. And it was so powerful that it affected his marriage and it affected his family when he came home after the war was over. He did not celebrate with the parades and stuff regarding the states, he was angry about this prison guard, how he had treated him, he had fantasized how he could get back at him and take his life. And in this anger, this hatred consumed him. And he couldn't fight against it. He couldn't overcome it. It was consuming his life. His wife encouraged him to go to a crusade. And Louis did so. At that crusade, he heard of salvation through Jesus Christ. Being a prisoner of war and understanding fully what that means to be rescued from your captors when you think that you are going to die and instead you're going to continue to live, he understood what liberty truly is, what salvation truly is. 
and the understanding that God has sent his son into this world to save us from the power of sin so that we might be eternally free from condemnation and be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever in heaven, in paradise, resonated with his heart. And he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But his anger still remained. And it's in that situation where he started reading God's word and praying. And through reading God's word and prayer, he started understanding God's gracious love. He understood God's, the power of God's forgiveness. That if God has forgiven him for what he has done, he has the power by God's grace to forgive this prison guard for what he had done to him. That's what it means to be persistent in prayer. To continue to fight on and pray. Because God will give the answer. God will give the provision. God is the one who is almighty. He's the one who has the strength to do these things. Not us. The devil never trembles when we hold up God's word and shout at him words of theology. The devil trembles when we get on our knees and humble ourselves before the Lord and pray. Because he doesn't fear us. He fears God. That's why the battle to pray is so challenging, so difficult, and why we don't think we need to do it. Where do those thoughts come from? If prayer is so powerful, as we seek God's counsel, if we seek God's, God's provision, God's power, if prayer is so powerful, why are we not praying? Who is telling us not to do so? And why are we listening when God's word says otherwise? The one thing Louis Zamperini could not overcome was his rage. And as he prayed, God gave him the victory over that through the understanding of God's great love. Hindsight is twenty twenty. As he understood, someone was watching over him. He understood that God would finally give him the answer he needed. The answer is love. Saving grace. So again, instead of hatred, he had a joyful hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Louis Zamperini used to say, don't give up. Don't give in. There's always an answer to everything. Seek it from the Lord in prayer. Pastor C.H. Spurgeon once wrote, it is a sign of failure in the iron trade when the furnaces are blown out. When business flourishes, the fire blazes both day and night. And so will it be with prayer when the soul is in a flourishing state. If prayer be the Christian's vital breath, how can he leave off praying? That is difficult, says one. Who said it was not? All the processes of the Christian life are difficult. But the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. Prayer must be continuous. This is what it means to endure in prayer, through which God enables you to stand your ground in the midst of affliction, rejoicing in the hope that the God who loves you will shepherd you 
and preserve your going out and coming in unto the day that you dwell with him forever.